the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas on KLUP 930 AM radio. The answer on this beautiful December 7th, 2018, excuse me, 2019. You know, I get very, very confused when I when I speak about December 7th. Every time I speak about uh, December 7th, I automatically want to say 1941. So I've got to think twice. Uh, It's uh, it's historical training that I've got. So let's blame it on that. Uh, at any rate, uh, welcome to our show, my friends. Welcome. Uh, we've got a very, very good program as usual. At least I hope that you will enjoy it. We're going to be talking about two big issues, two very special issues, one national and one very, very local, but with national implications. First of all, we're going to be talking with uh, with uh, uh, Mr. C- uh, Brandon Burkhardt. He's going to be our first uh, our first guest in a few moments, as well as with uh, State Representative Kyle Biederman, both of whom were at a, uh, a, a a city meeting, a municipal meeting this past week regarding the issue of the Alamo, the plans for redevelopment of the Alamo, specifically moving the Alamo Cenotaph and uh, a few other ideas and uh, that uh, that are being planned. So we're going to be listening to them. We're going to be chatting with them uh, about uh, these uh, plans that uh, the city has uh, both to move uh, the statue, to move the uh, the cenotaph, as well as uh, some ideas to make uh, the uh, Alamo more uh, universal, more inclusive. And uh, whenever liberals and leftists start talking about inclusiveness in history, that means they're going to water it down. That means they're going to be changing it. So we're going to be chatting in a few moments with uh, Brandon about that and later with Kyle, with uh, State Representative Kyle Biederman. We also have uh, two folks talking about uh, Obamacare. Uh, Mr. Mike Austin, who is an old friend of mine, uh, who will be chatting about how he lost his business to Obamacare because of Obamacare. We're also going to be talking with uh, another dear friend of mine, uh, Dr. Roger Motsigemba, who has put together a program, who has put together a health uh, program uh, that addresses the issue of uh, Obamacare and uh, gives folks a, an opportunity to um, to uh, get health care at a very, very much cut rate lesser uh, uh, amount than, than uh, what uh, the insurance the insurance uh, uh, insurances are, are charging. So uh, we'll chat with them uh, about that very issue. But for now, my friends, let's go to our first uh, guest, Mr. Brandon Burkhardt, who is president of the um, uh, Texas uh, Freedom. This is Texas Freedom for- Force. Uh, so, uh, Brandon, welcome to our show. Uh, thank you for taking time for being with us. Let's talk. Tell us, what did you think about the doggone meeting that just occurred? Uh, give us give us your thoughts. Well, the uh, HDRC, first of all, well, thank you for having me on the show. Um, the HDRC meeting on Wednesday night, uh, to probably everybody that sat in the room, was an absolute utter shock. Uh, simply because they didn't just rubber stamp it um, like we've seen in the last two years at every other meeting, from endowment meetings to the councils to Alamo Trust meetings, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it was really shocking. In fact, it, it took me all the way till this morning for all of this to kind of sink in 
that, uh, you know, we pulled out a temporary victory by slowing them down some, but the battle is far from over. Um, I was really impressed with all the Texans uh, that turned out. Um, I mean, the room was entirely packed. There was not one person that uh, spoke out against, or excuse me, for moving the Alamo Cenotaph. And everybody else spoke out against moving the Alamo Cenotaph. And many of them drove many miles to get there for that meeting. And, and we thank them for actually caring so much uh, to come out and, and speak up on it. But uh, the first, uh, uh, the main thing is uh, uh, the Native Americans that have filed the lawsuit, they played a big part last night in uh, stopping this. Um, because now they've got to review this to make sure that they're not going to step on any federal toes. And um, so those people are, you know, we, we can't give them the gratitude enough and thank them enough, you know, for, for what they did. Um, so, and then, of course, uh, the other half of it was the culture issue. And uh, like one of the, the commissioners said last night, is that, you know, there's all different types of groups that are here. And each one has their own agenda of, you know, what they're fighting for. But the one thing that they all have in common they don't want the Alamo Cenotaph moved. So that ought to tell you, you've got diversity. They talk about an inclusivity and, and diversity when the reimagining the Alamo Project. Well, guess what? It was there last night in full force. The, uh, the situation with the, with the fight, uh, this new battle for the Alamo, um, do you think that it's, you know, do, do you think we're going to make any progress uh, with it, or do you think that uh, you know ultimately this this establishment machine, this political machine that's uh, uh, that that is downtown San Antonio, that is uh, the that is the uh, uh, city hall? Do you think that they're ultimately just going to run over us? Um, you know, there's three parts to it. You know, there's, there's the city part, uh, the the, San Antonio, the city of San Antonio, the city council. I absolutely believe that they're just going to try to run right over us. They've, they've done that over the last two years. Uh, there's the GLO part second, George B. Bush, and he has absolutely run over us um, in the last two years. And then, of course, there's the third part, which is the most uh, uh, saddening part of the entire ordeal, which is the fact that um, our governor, Abbott, and uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick uh, are all bored with this, and they did nothing to absolutely try to stifle this. So, you know, when you have those guys on there, I think that they're they're definitely going to uh, try to, to ramrod this thing through, despite what Texans want and what uh, Texans are saying to them. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that we're going to give up. Um, you know, they, I, I refer back to a uh, 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 speaker last night that, you know, was, was very, very moving, Whenever he said, you know, was telling the story of the Alamo and said that, you know, that the 200 men knew they were coming to certain death. There were, you know, bodies decomposing all around them. They smelt death. They saw death. But guess what? They kept on fighting. And I think that's exactly what Texans need to keep on doing. They're going to keep on fighting. Do you think, uh, you know, as far as 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 uh, the future, what would you like to see? What as you as a as a Texan? And as a leader in this uh, in this fight, what would what would the ideal situation be as far as you're concerned? Well, you know, since the beginning, we've had many issues with the reimagine the Alamo plan. That we came together for our organization and said we we're going to stick to one because we knew if we brought up all of them, they weren't going to you know kind of concede to, to our wishes for all of them. And the only thing we've asked for is for the Alamo Cenotaph to be left alone. I mean. Uh, one of the commissioners last night, you know, said that uh, you know it would be nice if we could go back and just make the battlefield in the front where the cenotaph sits look like 1940, like it did before, except shut the traffic down around the uh, the streets around it. And I think that was the best idea I've heard yet. Um, you know, it's uh, it, you know our movement that we've got is not one inch; it's our hashtag. And that's exactly what we mean when it comes to the Alamo Cenotaph. We don't want it moved one inch, um, you know, and so that's, that's what we want to see out of this whole thing. We want the Cenotaph left alone, restore it on site, fix the problems, which the city of San Antonio has allowed to get this bad, and then, you know, go ahead and 
you can kind of do some of the other stuff that you want to do and reimagine the Alamo Project. So you wouldn't have any problem with uh, with the stores and, and the um, uh, other buildings that are in the immediate area, them being removed or, or demolished or changed or whatever, uh, as long as the uh, the 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 uh, and and other parts of the of the Alamo are are uh, left alone, uh, or 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 uh, better yet, uh, are fixed, right? Yes, correct. I mean, the, the shops across the street. Uh, I think it, it doesn't uh, serve the Alamo well being there because the noise and the Ripley's. You know, believe it or not, and stuff. The only thing, the exception that I would make on that would be the Woolworths building. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I do believe that, you know, that does have historical uh, reference um, um, with, you know, uh, the first black being able to sit at the counters uh, there. And that's part of our history. And since our organization is for the preservation of all of the Texas history, we feel that that, that building should remain uh, intact the way it is today and it should be properly uh, restored um, to reflect that. Gotcha. So uh, we've only got uh, a, a, a few. Uh, just one more minute. Um, what uh, What would your What What do you recommend? What would you want to tell our audience as far as supporting your organization and uh, and 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 pushing forward on the uh, on defending the Alamo and and, and the cenotaph? Well, uh, you know, if you would like to, to join us in this fight, which we could use all the help we can get you, you could go to Facebook at This Is Texas Freedom Force, or you can go on online at our website at txfreedomforce.org uh, to join up with this. Um, Facebook is our, our main uh, way that we tell people about our events and all that, and uh, so, uh, you know, you can keep up to date with what's going on. I will say this, is that... Uh, our organization is prepared to storm the cenotaph if they begin to try to move it and surround it. And, um, you know, whatever happens after that, you know, somebody said, well, you know, you guys are just going to go to jail. And after hearing the speakers last night, you know, we started thinking about it. And, uh, and you know, those guys gave their lives. So, <laughs> to jail for a night or two. Yeah. Nothing. Right. So, you know, we're prepared to do it. We need all the Texans' help that we can around the state. Excellent, Brandon. Thank you for uh, for working so hard to defend the history of Texas and San Antonio and the Alamo. And uh, we uh, we really, you know, want to want to tell everyone that uh, you know that uh, you're doing you're doing a good job and, and and a noble job. That's the thing. This is not just radicals doing radical stuff. This is this is somebody defending defending history. And something that's noteworthy. Thank you very much for taking time to be with us. Thank you, you too. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez El Conservador and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. All right, folks, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio on KLUP 930 AM radio. And uh, we've got uh, a very good uh, friend, uh, State Representative Kyle Biederman. And uh, the the representative was present yesterday. In fact, he was one of the speakers at uh, the public meeting regarding the plans for the Alamo, specifically the Alamo Cenotaph. And um, I wanted to get him on the show to uh, because he has been very, very, uh, very, very much involved in trying to preserve the uh, history, the integrity, the, uh, uh, the, the cenotaph at its present site 
Uh, he's been very, very involved in that uh, effort to maintain it. Um, and I wanted to get his uh, his view of what um, what this latest public uh, uh, city public hearing uh, or meeting was like and, uh, you know, where we're going with this. Uh, uh, Representative Biederman, thank you very, very much for joining us today. Uh, tell us, what did you think of the meeting yesterday? I mean, uh, how, how did you feel uh, regarding not, not only the turnout, uh, but uh, the, the response from the uh, from the committee. Well, George, thank you all very much for having me on. And, you know, we actually talked about this before the meeting, and I talked with a number of the other uh, people that were going to be speaking, and I don't think any of us really thought much was going to happen, that anyone was going to listen. I mean, after a year and a half of, you know, talking to so, at so many meetings, going having hearings at the Capitol, having a bill, uh, my HB 1836 bill, I'm trying to get that moving through the House in the the Capitol and getting no one to really listen and nobody really cared, it seemed like. Uh, We didn't have a lot of expectations for yesterday, but we just knew we had to show up because we're not going to give up, as you had said earlier. And so uh, we had very few expectations, and uh, I can tell you right now that I was very, very pleased I was very grateful, uh, very impressed that those people on the committee actually listened. And a lot of the people that spoke actually said that. They could tell that the people on the committee were listening to us. I truly believe that they heard things they have not heard before, that they've been uh, told a lot of other things uh, from one group of people, the uh, elite in San Antonio, as well as the uh, general land office and George P. Bush's employees. And so they heard from real people, and they'd heard history of the animal they haven't heard before. And I think one big reason, or one big thing they caught was that uh, the majority of people do not want uh, the Senate to have to be moved. And I know that's something they don't ever hear in their meetings. That, you know that's very very interesting the the, the way they're true because the, the, what you're what you're saying because I mean these folks uh, are appointed this is the historic San Antonio Historical Commission Commission that is appointed by elected officials uh, the city council and the mayor and uh, you know they are kind of removed from the uh, from the uh, electorate but at the same time they are they are supposed to be responsive and. Um, you know, it it, it it did look like there was a, there was a reaction from them, correct? You better believe it. And and you know what's so you, you could tell it was different. You know, you and you've been in front of the uh, the uh, city council before and the mayor, and you know they you know they don't even listen. Trevino, I mean, they have it. They they usually set it up, and they don't even want you to talk. We were allowed to sign up no matter what, and even when Tim uh, from um, Sabina came in, uh, uh, when he came in, he came in way, way into the hearing. They still allowed him to speak. So you could tell this was totally different. But you're right. Those people were not necessarily politicians. They were regular people, and they got to hear from regular people for the first time. Now, given... an earful from the, uh, from the others. Yeah, given, given the presentation that was given by the design uh, uh, company, the folks that are in charge of doing of doing the design and implementing it. Um, what did you, what stands out regarding their design, regarding their uh, approach to, uh, to uh, this uh, historical site? Did they speak a different language or what, George? <laughs> it wasn't, <laughs> it was not Texan, first of all. Uh, it was not a love for the Alamo or for history. They just use lingo and words and all of these concepts that are so, uh, uh, you know, Agenda 21 and, uh, you know, completely, uh, you know, um, uh, different than what the Alamo uh, concept should be. Oh, we'll just move the cenotaph and turn it 180 degrees and trees and benches that were never there, and you can look at it, and we're going to put lights on it, and <laughs> what? Yeah, you know, it was very interesting, you know, now that you're mentioning the, bench and the benches, it was that, uh, you know, the place is already a park, and it's got benches, so, you know, right. what, what's going to be different? 
if you want to add a few more things, let's do it right there. But, I mean, they were so, uh, so far removed from what is really should be happening at the Alamo. And, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, when they came up the second time, so they spoke first, gave a presentation. Of course, all of us, you know, testified. And then I brought back up for questions. And you could see they were very uncomfortable, and they really didn't know how to answer. They've not, never been challenged. They've never yeah. been challenged by real people. They're so out of touch. Right. And uh, same with our, you know, our, our city leaders are so out of touch. So where do you think we're going to go with this? I mean, do you, do you do you see any hope? Do you see any light of the tunnel or or, or uh, some type of, uh, of compromise? Where do you think this is going to go? Well, I... Without yesterday, I would have said there is no hope at all. Uh, after yesterday, the only thing I can see is, um, I, you know, you saw the newspaper articles today come out, and there is shock and awe that they did not rule last night. So those shock waves are going to go through, and um, uh, I feel that our only hope is that. Um, this information gets a little bit deeper, and they realize that uh, the cat's out of the bag, and it's going to be hard for them to put it back in. And they're going to do that uh, by having to lie and cheat on uh, getting this done. And uh, that will be very bad for them. So, and I'm talking about the leaders, uh, yeah. whether it's George B. Bush in the GOL or the city of San Antonio. So the cat's out of the bag with this right now. Their own people that they appointed actually listen to their people and not them. Well, just listen to the city attorney last night. She did everything she could to shut down, um, shut us down, but also to shut down any um, conversation about uh, moving in the Senate So um, that's where the hope is, that, that they're gonna, there's going to be some shock at what happened. And uh, there's going to have to, some people are going to have to answer to this. What would you recommend at this point? Uh, at this point, to the citizens of San Antonio and to the citizens of Texas and to the citizens of the rest of uh, the United States, because this is a uh, not only a Texas historical site; it's an American historical site. So, what would you recommend to the rest of the folks uh, in moving forward? Well, you know, I, I spoke to many people. I, you know, I have a whole HR department store in Fredericksburg, so I have lots of customers coming in today. And uh, I talked to a number of them about what happened last night and so forth. And it is very difficult for people that do not have a platform like I do or you do to really get anybody to notice us because we don't even get noticed. Um, I would say those of us, um, you and I and, and uh, a number of those that were there, we have got to keep the heat on. I mean, you could say call the governor. You could say call lieutenant governor. You could say call the mayor. That was on the, you know, Trey West said that on his TV, on his radio show the other day. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, we're past that. We're way past that. As the city's um, attorney said, we're past it. The decision's been made already. It's going to be moved. So what's going to talk about it? Um, I don't know, George. I don't know what to tell everybody what to do. I really don't. If you make three calls, that would be great. Um, I'd like to know what you think, but I just know that people like us, you and I, we have to keep the heat on. Well, that's right. I, you know, I think, I think the use of social media to uh, inform and educate and keep people uh, uh, abreast of what is happening, I think that's going to be very, very key. How's the social media for the city? Do they have much social media? Well, I mean, you know, their their biggest their biggest voice, unfortunately, is the uh, local. News media who uh, you know follows their lead and follows their their uh, uh, carries their message. I mean, uh, it, it you know specifically the San Antonio Express, uh, who was not there, and uh, you know they will they're the ones that will carry the message. And unfortunately, again, because people read headlines and they don't read uh, you know the whole story, or because uh, the the story is written with a certain bias. Uh, a lot of folks are not, um, you know, are, are, are misinformed. So uh, that'll be, you know, that'll be, that, that's something that we've got to combat, in my opinion. 
You're exactly right. And again, the fact that we have been doing this and going to meetings and speaking for over a year um, on this, two years, three years, uh, the fact that I was at the Capitol on the House floor giving the same message to those House of Representatives that your name is going to be on this. History will be written and your name will be on that you did not stand up for the Alamo, that you let it go to these liberals and I want to change and sanitize our history, your names are on it. That's right. That's it seemed right. to make much of an impact to my legislators, uh, colleagues, but it seemed to make an impact last night, and that's what gives me encouragement. Yeah, I think that the, uh, I think that the, that the company uh, is, a little, uh, is a little nervous about that. that. Uh, uh, Representative, thank you very, very much, folks. We've been talking with uh, Rep- State Representative Kyle Biederman, uh, who has uh, been leading the charge to uh, protect and defend the Alamo and its history and its culture and its, uh, uh, its monuments. Thank you very, very much for everything you do, and uh, let's get you back on the, on the show uh, for an update. Uh, well, you're very welcome, George, and everybody. Uh, follow George on his social media. Respond and let the city know as you feel. So, God bless you, George. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks, welcome back. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And uh, as we mentioned at the very beginning of the show, uh, we're, we've got, uh, we're going to be chatting with a couple of folks uh, about the issue of Obamacare and uh, the state of uh, health uh, care here in the United States and in the state of Texas. And uh, first of all, I wanted to get one of my very good friends, Mr. Mike Austin, uh, who uh, had a terrible experience with Obamacare when he kicked in. And I uh, wanted to get his uh, perspective, his story, and uh, find out um, what it is, how it affected him, as it has affected many other folks. So uh, let's welcome Mike to the show. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, George. And uh, Mike's an old buddy from uh, from high school. We won't say how long ago, but uh, we're both Highlands High School alum. <laughs> and um, so, Mike, tell us, what was your experience? What happened when Obamacare came in? Well, let, let, let me tell you, our market was, which, first of all, we started this company in 1997, and essentially we were a corporate finance company focused exclusively on health care. And for the most part, we provided different types of financing, mostly equipment financing, to uh, independent, out-of-network, physician-owned hospitals, surgery centers, imaging centers, anything that was really tied to a physician type of ownership. Uh, And it served us really well. So up and through 2016, we financed pretty close to $300 million uh, worth of projects. Very successful, never had a late payment, never, never missed a blip. And unfortunately, beginning in 2013, some of the effects of the Obamacare legislation began to kick in. And what it really did was it empowered the insurance companies, the payers, to take a second look at how they operated and how they approved payments and when they approved payments and who they and who they pay. And it gave them unbelievable power autonomously to make these decisions. And part of it goes back to the Obamacare that was done in concert with the American Hospital Association, which for the most part represented or represents the major health systems, the big health systems, you know, the, 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 the yeah, I won't name any names, but they're nationwide and they're local as well. And so those types of facilities, those they have their own lines of credit, so they typically didn't come to a little company like our company. But we worked very well, and we had clients really throughout the Southwest. Most of them were concentrated in Houston and Dallas and a few in San Antonio. So we did a lot of business, and we borrowed the money. Uh, we financed this money through our relationships with our commercial banks uh, to, to fund these transactions. And in 2013, I was also part of an ownership group. We had eight uh, out-of-network 
surgical hospitals, two in San Antonio, two in Houston, uh, one in Fort Worth, uh, that were uh, doing extremely good business. We had position ownership. We were we were operating extremely well, extremely efficiently, providing services. For the most part, uh, these services were elective surgeries for people who had bad backs or surgery or knee problems or whatever and needed to have some corrective surgery done. And in, 20, in September of 2013, we had on the books pre-authorized surgical cases that we had performed of uh, that were pre-authorized by Aetna and Cigna, to name two, totaling $30 million. And these were out-of-network cases. And remember, the patients, our patients, and those clients of those payers pay to have these out-of-network coverages. It's part of their premium. The insurance companies, we always pre-authorized, and they were pre-authorized. They pre-authorized us to perform the cases, which we did. And in September of 2013, they decided on their own, autonomously, they weren't going to pay any of those claims. And so we were left holding the bag with $30 million worth of revenue that we had booked that we couldn't collect. And so that's when things began to unravel. And it accelerated through 2015. That particular organization ended up in bankruptcy because by the time we negotiated in-network contracts with those payers, uh, we were out of cash. And so it goes on, and that was my market. That was my primary market in Houston and in Dallas. Unfortunately, those things, that market was taken away from me by the insurance companies, and it gutted those. And today, if you look, there are, there are hospitals throughout the country that are independents, that are physician-owned, uh, and they are going out of business on a weekly basis. I get a report out of a group out of Chicago. I get it. I get an email every day. Every day there's another hospital that's gone out. I just had one in Houston uh, that we've had on the books since 2015, and they just they closed last month. They filed bankruptcy. They're gone. And so now I've got to go try to collect my equipment and sell that equipment to, to, to pay the bank off. So what it's done is it has, it has gutted our company. It has gutted our market. And so all the cash flow, all the money that we have we made off of that, now we're using to try to collect money. We're trying to collect our equipment. We're trying to pay off our bankers. Fortunately, most of our bankers are working with us, but it's really devastating to us. It's been extremely devastating. So we are we are winding down that company because we have no choice. Now, uh, to 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 uh, be sure that that the folks understand, uh, you were working with uh, directly with uh, with uh, physicians who had their own operations initially. And it's it, this thing has spiraled now to the point that even big hospitals are being affected, correct? Even big hospitals are being affected. What the insurance companies do now, because they've been empowered by this, they've been extremely emboldened by giving them the power that they have. They look at and relook at every charge that's submitted to them, and they take as long as they can to pay it. So even the big systems are being affected, even the big hospitals. So the little guys that don't have the credit lines, that don't have the deep pockets, they can't survive. But every charge is being looked at and reviewed and rejected and comes back. And so the, the, the cash flow on the system as a whole has been, I mean, you talk about funneled down into a, a tight noose. It is unbelievable what's happened to these hospitals. And so, and, 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 and in, to go along with that, part of that is the fact that the insurance uh, industry has changed, and a lot of the people that need surgery would like to like to have surgery done or even need the surgery done. They can't afford it because of their deductibles, because that's another thing that Obamacare did, was that if you remember, it increased the deductibles. Now when you used to have a two or $3,000 deductible, you might have an eight or a ten or $12,000 deductible. And, and so... A hospital stay gets eaten up with that, and you don't have you have zero insurance coverage because you can't afford uh, you can't afford the deductible. Which is very very curious because I mean, uh, it seemed to me that the whole idea of Obamacare, at least how it was presented, was to protect the small person to to protect the individual, and uh, it just seems like um, the only people that have made off like bandits are uh, are, are, are the big insurance companies. 
there's no doubt about it, George. Let me tell you, in 2010, and I pulled up some statistics yesterday in researching, getting ready for this interview, there were 49.9 million, roughly 50 million people in 2010 that were considered uninsured people. And in 2018, which is the most recent one that we have any statistics for, there are 44 million people that have no insurance. So we've only improved a little bit over a nine-year, over an eight-year period, but there's 38 million people that are considered underinsured because they because either the type of insurance they have or they can't afford to get the insurance coverage that they really need because of those high deductibles again. And so it's 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 a it's a really serious issue, and I don't think people understand across the board the the effects that we've really had. We don't, you know, technically we don't have a single payer system. But we may as well have because the insurance companies are acting in concert and 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 to slow pay, to review every charge, and to reject as many charges as possible. Yeah, well, uh, and put and, and put the burden on carrying the health care back to the person who needs the health care, who needs the insurance. It's amazing. It's just it's it's remarkable how this has evolved. So so what really do you good. think? I mean, from your perspective, what do you think needs to happen at this point? Because uh, health care is going to become a very, very hot item in the uh, in in the in this coming election. What do you think needs uh, needs to happen from your perspective? Man, that's a that's a really tough question, and that's a good question, George, because it's how do you put the genie back in the bottle? Now that you now that you've let these insurance companies, you've given them this power, and they they've revamped their whole systems, and and we've and we've allowed it. You know, the government and the taxpayers have allowed this to happen. How you unwind that now is, is a very difficult proposition. And it's probably means that we've got to, we've got to go in there and, and probably there has to be some legislation that, uh, and I guess maybe I hate to say it, I hate to use the word regulate, but have further regulations on the insurance companies. Yeah. Make sure that they're covering, they're, they're providing the coverage that their policy says it's supposed to to cover yep yep take back some of that power that was given to them it looks like take we've got to figure out a way to do that and and that's a and and uh, unfortunately us baby boomers you know we're probably being affected the most because this is at a time when we need our health insurance we need our health care coverage the most and yet uh we're having the most difficult with it trying trying to make it work you got it buddy Mike, thank you very, very much for taking time to uh, to be with us this afternoon. Um, can uh, you know we're, we're I'm going to get you back on the show as we as we continue to explore this uh, this issue of Obamacare and uh, the impact of the insurance companies uh, uh, that they're having because uh, it's going to become a hotter and hotter item as uh, as the 2020 campaign continues. You know that it is. I'm available anytime. I appreciate the invitation and uh, appreciate your friendship. Look, look forward to coming back on. Take care, my man. Once again, uh, we've been chatting with uh, Mike Austin, who uh, is an old friend of mine who is uh, who was affected adversely by uh, Obamacare. Friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio. We'll be right back. El Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio. And um, we've been talking with uh, uh, a couple of folks. We talked earlier with uh, Mike Austin uh, regarding the issue of Obamacare and how it's affected his business. Well, we're now, now we're going to talk to Dr. Uh, Roger Mutsugemba 
who also is an old friend of mine from Highlands High School and from uh, 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 my olden days. <laughs> we won't say how old. But anyway, uh, Roger is uh, has put together a program, has put together an alternative to Obamacare. Uh, his, uh, his venture just recently opened up. In fact, I believe today is the first or second anniversary, he can tell us. Uh, of his uh, of his project of his program, and um, what we need to do, my friends, is chat about this because uh, it has become Obamacare and what to do with it has become a very very confusing and uh, and and cumbersome uh, issue to discuss. And uh, in some ways, I think that a lot of politicians don't want us to discuss it. I know that a lot of the lobbyists definitely don't want us to discuss it, but. Um, Let's ask Roger. Roger, welcome to the show. Tell us about your venture and why it's different, how it's different, uh, why it's an alternative to Obamacare. Okay, well, uh, thanks, George, for, for taking a few minutes and having me on today, especially today, because it's uh, the two-year birthday of the, the clinic that I opened called Direct Med Clinic, and uh, so I'm thankful to uh, be on the program and and just chat and get the word out about um, something that folks can do to, to combat the high cost of health care, which is usually from premiums and deductibles. And uh, you were, you were, I'll talk about my program in just a minute, but uh, you were talking about Obamacare, otherwise known as the Affordable Care Act, and, and how, uh, what that's done to the current health care scenario. Um, so, one of the ways that Obamacare or the ACA has contributed to that is with part of the law that is called the medical loss ratio, which mandates that insurance carriers must pay either 80 or 85% of what they collect in premium to foreign health care. Okay, so the rest of that percentage is what they get to keep. So could you imagine uh, an insurance company issuing a rebate um, one year if healthcare costs were lower? No, that's not going to happen. So the, the point is that the whole system is incentivized for more and more healthcare spending. So what that leaves the general public and employers who are paying for healthcare is with really high premiums and really high deductibles, okay? So with that, I could talk a little bit more about what we offer at Direct Med Clinic, and I would like to take credit for the model that we have, but I can't do that. It, it's, it's been around for a few years, but I gravitated towards it because I love innovation, and I, I saw this model in action when doing some work in Utah, and I thought, Wow, how refreshing is this? The folks in San Antonio need that. So that's why two years ago I opened the clinic um, in San Antonio and offered this model. So it's called direct primary care. And the way it works is that an individual or an employer paying for an employee pays a membership fee to the clinic um, on a monthly basis, and then any time the, the member or employee comes to the clinic for treatment, we only charge them $10, okay? And the cost of this membership is affordable. So um, it's less than, in, in our clinic, it's less than $2 a day um, buys you the membership, and then you can come in as much as you want for $10. Now, so what that does for people, it gives them affordable access to a doctor and restores the doctor-patient relationship, and this is not insurance. So we tell people, keep your insurance, but um, preferably change it to a high-deductible plan so if you need to see a specialist or go to the hospital, you're still covered. And, and that's really more what insurance was designed to do. To cover the, the high end of the stuff, right? Because, I mean, if I need... If I cut my finger and I need a couple of stitches, I don't need to go to the emergency room and then have the uh, insurance uh, billed for whatever 
couple of thousand dollars, right? Exactly. And we we had a, a wonderful example of, of the striking difference in the cost saving here from a, a patient perspective where we had a young lady that um, shared with us how she went to the emergency room uh, for an, uh, an asthma flare-up. So she goes there and they gave her um, a breathing treatment and a steroid shot. Um, then before she, she could leave, she paid $225. And then they sent her a bill for over $1,000. And she shared with us the uh, the amount of the service was um, over forty nine hundred dollars. So that's what they charged the insurance company. But but her portion was the the one thousand dollar eighty four one thousand one thousand eighty four dollar bill plus the two twenty five that she paid. So um, after this, she she got a membership to the clinic, and she had another exacerbation of her asthma. She came to the clinic um, after paying her membership fee monthly. She was seen for $10. She got another breathing treatment and she got a shot of a steroid and the $10 was all it cost her. Um, then the other thing that she had, even maybe, maybe more importantly, is that she was educated on how to take care of her asthma. And she hasn't had an exacerbation or an attack since then, which she didn't really get that when she left the ER. So isn't that, isn't that a striking example of cost savings and access to a doctor? You know, it, it's, it's very, very interesting how you, you described it at the very beginning, that the, um, you know, the amount of money that the uh, insurance companies have to pay into the Affordable Care Act and how much they can keep, uh, of course they are going to gouge so that they can keep as much as they can because they are a business uh, and, and, and they're paying into the, uh, into the government. Uh, on the other hand, you know, me, I'll, I'll use myself as an example, um, at my ripe old age of 69, I am healthy as a horse. I never, you know, use anything uh, other than uh, my uh, inhaler, and I buy my bronchade tablets over the counter. However, my uh, my insurance my insurance uh, the amount that I pay is uh, you know it's almost three hundred dollars a month. So um, I mean I'm not even using it for anything. So how would your clinic help me in that in that aspect of it? Yeah, well, so you're you're like a lot of people. You have a chronic medical condition, and you're you are maintained, but the cost of the maintenance is is greatly inflated or multiplied through the insurance business that you have. So direct primary care is not insurance, but it's direct access to a doctor. Um, so if you contract with us directly, we'll take care of your asthma. Or if you have diabetes or hypertension, we can manage that at a fraction of the cost of getting it managed through your insurance company. So we would recommend to somebody with a chronic medical condition like that or, or just anybody that wants access to a doctor, um, you know, check out direct primary care and, and, uh, and contract directly with the doctor and leave the insurance aside for the big stuff. You can save a lot of money. Yeah, so you would use the, the insurance for, for catastrophic issues, but not, not for your, definitely not for your daily, uh, you know, uh, just day-to-day, uh, whatever. I mean, a Band-Aid, an aspirin, well, whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, just think about it. I mean, everybody has car insurance, but we don't use the car insurance to change the oil or change the wiper blades. Excellent example, excellent example. So, Roger, here as we close, tell folks how they can follow up on it. And, uh, and, and and give your uh, your 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 program a, a pitch. Give your clinic a pitch. Tell us about. It. Okay. Well, so they can find out about um, us on our website at directmedclinic.com. And if they would like um, more information, like for me to talk to their organization, I've been known to go around and 
uh, do lunch and learns for employers. I'm more than happy to do that. Um, on our website, you can also learn about a chapter of the Free Market Medical Association, which I founded. We had our first meeting last month um, that promotes um, price transparency to try to control the high cost of health care. Um, and then if you're a little more politically oriented, then I would recommend supporting the Primary Care Enhancement Act, which would allow um, um, HSAs to pay for a DPC membership, which currently is not allowed. Um, uh, and employers pay for most of the health care in this country, and currently about a third of employers have um, offer HSA plans. So by supporting this Primary Care Enhancement Act, it would go a long, long way to increase access for people and allow employers to, to participate in a, a great big way that, like that. Roger, thank you very, very much for uh, coming on our show, and we'll get you back on here again, because I don't think that this issue of, uh, of how to uh, address Obamacare, how to change it, how to go back to uh, how we were, if that's possible, uh, I think it's going to continue to be a great debate, and it would be very good to hear from, a, from a, the inside of a, of a doctor that's got a clinic like yourself. George, I, I just want to say one more thing to your listeners that might be struggling you know, to manage their chronic medical conditions uh, because of the cost, check out DPC um, because if, you, if you're going without care and management of your diabetes and hypertension, you don't realize, you might not realize it, but your organs are being damaged irreversibly and it's so easy for us to, to provide that affordable access to take care of you um, through this model. Wow. I, that's so true. That's so true, buddy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. We're talking, we've been talking with uh, Dr. Roger Mutsugemba and, uh, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.